This episode of the Living Yoga Show was brought to you by the Living Yoga Society's Outreach Project, dedicated to serving the community and providing yoga and spiritual life coaching to people in deep life-changing experiences, including PTSD, cancer, anxiety, depression, birth, and end-of-life transitions. To add your heartbeat to this outreach project, go to livingyogasociety.org slash donate and follow the link to patreon.com or PayPal. Hello, and welcome to the Living Yoga Show. I'm Shivani, and together with my co-host Param Jodi, we will explore the teachings of yoga, its techniques, philosophy, and take a look at how it can be applied to our everyday life. So, here we go. Hello and welcome to the Living Yoga Show. My name is Shivani and today again I am here with the lovely Mitten Jaya. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. It's a cold morning. It's a little so bit drizzly. Just added another log to the fire so we can do our podcast nice and cozy this morning. Fantastic. So last week we talked about the Yamas being universal morality and just a quick recap on what those yamas were. They are ahimsa, which is nonviolence, nonviolence, uh, non-aggression, satya, truthfulness, truthfulness, not just not lying, but to be able to see the truth behind the situation. Taking a step back from your own truth and seeing the truth for what it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's asaya, which is about non possessing, not needing to possess one's desires, um, abstinence from theft, including people's time, mm-hmm. t- not taking what's not yours, brahmacharya, which is to be established in the divine, and mm. we talked about sensual abstinence, sensual abstinence, using, uh, uh, discerning and being really honest about how we use our sexual energy, and aparigraha, of non-possessiveness, Keeping things for yourself when you see a need in, in somebody else. That's a really important one for the age that we're living in where materialism is quite broad. Yes, it is uh, paramount. So then today, the yamas, niyamas, whoa. <laughs> so the niyamas, personal observances within our lifestyle. So you see how they're still connected to the outside world, but we're starting to take a step inwards. So are the niyamas also spiritual guidelines like the yamas? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the yamas are the, the universal moralities of, of um, how we interact with the outside world. And then the niyamas are the, the personal observances of the moralities of how we deal with ourselves. Okay. So they're more internal versus the yamas are yeah, external. But internal in relation to the outside world. Right, gotcha. So, the first one is Saucha, or as you like to pronounce it, Shaucha. <laughs> it's, it's spelled Shaucha, but pronounced Saucha. Tomato, tomato. Potato, potato. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that means purity or cleanliness. So not just clean on the outside, you know, cleaning your body, having a shower, not smelling, but also clean on the inside. So what are the three aspects of our inside world need to be brought into purity? Mind. Uh, emotions. Yeah. And I'm pondering a third. Mind, emotions, 
In the physical organs. In the, yeah, the physical. Right, the yeah. internal physicality. You know, really watching it. And you'll see how these niyamas really connect into the yamas, right? So purity of thought, purity of emotions, like doing the practices, doing the asana to purify the physical organs, doing the pranayama to purify the emotional body, doing the dharana practices to be able to purify the mind so that we're not just habitual reacting organisms running around. We are uh, evolved beings that can respond, can witness, and can interact consciously with life rather than just run into brick walls the purity of mind is there's a few different ways to practice it from my perspective which is a sort of new yogi um one pointedness is a is a teaching of yoga that will induce purity of mind when you're totally focused on one thing it's hard for other infiltrating thoughts to creep in Right? So what's one of the main dharana practices or concentration practices that we use to keep the mind one po one focused, one pointed, when it could be a time of idle mindness when things filter in? What do we what do we use as a main practice for that? Uh, you can use mantra. When you're kind of just going about your day doing these things, la di da, it's easy for the mind to wander and to fill the time when we're idle, as Shivani said. It's very helpful to do your mantra just repeatedly in your head. So some generic mantras, if you don't have an initiated guru mantra, um, some generic mantras that can be used for that is the uh, Gayatri mantra, Ombu bhuvaswaha tatsavitu varenyam pago devasya dhimahi deyo yona prachodayat. Or the Mahavra Injaya mantra, Om Triambakam Yajamehe Sogandim Pushtivadhanam Urdva Rukamiva Pandanat Mrityo Mukshiyamamritat Or the most, one of the most common shorter mantras is Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya So yeah, cleansing the mind of disturbing emotions like hatred, passion, anger, lust, greed, delusion, and pride When, when your mind is focused on the light, it can't engage with the shadow so if we keep our eye on the light, then the shadows fall behind us. I think we've all experienced that a little bit too. It's easy for us to look at thoughts as either positive or negative, And we've all felt how harmful to ourselves negative thought patterns can be and how exhausting those can be. So purity of mind is really a, an important topic in my sense. I saw an interesting meme the other day that said, um, holding on to anger um, at somebody else's actions is like drinking the poison and expecting somebody else to die. Oh, totally. It's right. It is not fun. It is not fun. No, not it's at all. not. So that is the first niyama, shaucha, purity. Uh, second niyama is santosha or contentment. This is a doozy. Totally, but it's totally relevant to the time we live in, and I feel like yogi or not, you can relate to this. Absolutely. Contentment. Not just when things are easy. It's really easy to be content when everything's going the way we think it should. But it's uh, it's a whole other practice to be content when, when things are challenging. Mm. So from a chakra perspective, Santosha or contentment lives in Manipura chakra, which is the belly, which is the fire element. It's the liver, which is relation to my will and the spleen, which I always look at as relation to thy will. It's this uh, seesaw, this pendulum that goes between the two. And 
contentment comes from the seed of, of faith, trust, right? We were talking a bit about that last week. And the seed of trust bears the, the, the flower of contentment. You can't be content if you are in victim consciousness. And it's very, it's very trendy in our society to be the victim of something, to be the victim of somebody else's bad mood, to be the victim of somebody else's actions. I, I like the saying, life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. So if we're looking at life through a yogurt perspective, every single thing that we experience is for our evolution, not instances that happen to us. When we look at life as though it's happening to us, we very easily can get into the perpetrator, victim, archetypal identity. That's a lot of words in there to remember. The archetypal identity of victim and perpetrator. When you're in the mindset of victim-perpetrator mentality, you are completely identified with the third dimension of uh, dualism. And living a yogic lifestyle of satya, I remember, is about stepping out of that third dimension and starting to see the patterns and the relationship of the events that are happening around us and see them from a, a visualization that they're happening for our evolution, not to us. So really contentment in, in our modern society, I think is very interlinked with the victim consciousness and how we need to be able to be okay with what we have and be okay with what we don't have, knowing that what we have and what we don't have in this moment is absolute perfection for our evolution. It may not be comfortable. You can be content and not be comfortable. And that's where yogic practices come in is you change your point of view from Oh, all this bad things that are happening to me, like, oh, I don't have this because of this and blah, 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 and so discontent, always longing for more. In yoga, you shift your perspective to, oh, these things are happening for me to learn for my own evolution, for my own spiritual growth. And when you shift your mindset into that perspective, it's extremely empowering feels much better than the other way around. Now, empowering, I love the fact you use that word because power is actually another aspect of Manipura Chakra. So we're really, what we're talking about is the frequency of fire, which is transformation. All of these aspects of our life, victim, uh, power over is another way of saying perpetrator, hmm. right? To have power over or be lacking power, lacking self-worth, lacking self-esteem, not being enough, anger, um, contentment, lack of contentment, service, um, accumulation. These are all come from the same place in our bodies, which is the pancreas, stomach, spleen, liver, fire element of the digestion. How can you digest this present moment? And when you're really truly digesting this present moment, regardless of your circumstance, you can come into a state of contentment because when you're in, when your foundation is in a trust in the divine, then that trust in the divine is so strong that no matter what you're experiencing, you trust it and it's okay. Yeah, that's what it all comes down to is you trust the moment, you trust that the divine has this plan for you and that it will all be okay regardless if the current moment feels really crappy or not. Absolutely. Now, Sage Vashista, who is spoken about in the Rama Charita Manas, which is the, the story of the Ramayan, of Rama's story. Sage Vashista is one of Rama's teachers, and he says that uh, reflection, peacefulness or shanti, being in the company of truth, which is called satsang, right? Sat, satya, satsang is truth. 
uh, to be in the in the company of truth, the beings that can hold that frequency of truth, and santosha or contentment are the four sential gates of moksha or liberation, the salvation of being completely freed from the cycle of birth and rebirth. So santosha is a really pivotal practice and pivotal teaching to being able to evolve. And when we're living in the past, we're, we're living from the energy in the chest. When we're anxious about the future, we're living from the energy in the hips and in the lower back. But when we're in the present moment, completely one-pointedly, one-pointedly, we're in the, pres in the energy center of the belly, which is Manipura, and that gives us power. And then when we have that power to be in the present moment and see the gift for what it is, then we're able to choose to have power over or service for, and they create two completely different realities. Very much so, okay. and a much more relaxed reality. Easier to go about day to day. Totally much more flowy, way less conflict of mind. And, and this is all from my perspective. Absolutely. And, and I find that life becomes like this little treasure hunt because you're constantly looking for the serendipitous uh, moments of the divine telling you that it's got you, right? Like even just seeing like 11-11 on the clock. Yeah. yeah. Right? Or, yeah, it's little things, right? It throws little hints that you've switched your mind state into this trust. Absolutely. And it will reciprocate. And it will. It will give you lots and lots of signs. You know, you might find a penny on the floor. As I mentioned, the clock might be 11-11 every time you look at it. You might think of somebody and then suddenly they call, right? These are all signs that you've tapped into something different and that it's the present moment is exactly as it should be. And we want that present moment to bring us contentment. So then we come into tapas or tapasya. I like the word tapasya. Uh, now, you had a really interesting question about tapasya. Tapasya is the disciplined use of energy or austerity. And w what was that you were saying this morning over breakfast? Yeah, I did a little reading on um, this third niyama of tapas last night. And one of the main words used to describe it is austerity. And I couldn't, I didn't really know what austerity meant. So I did a little research on Google. And when you type in austerity to Google, it comes up with mostly government-related things about them cutting funding to uh, lessen their their financial deficit, and I just it didn't really make sense to me in a yogic sense. But hopefully, we can discuss it a little further here and bring about some understanding. So, tapasya uh, is doing things with an intention to make the mind, the emotions, and the body stronger so that you can sit in meditation for longer periods of time. So when you are sitting, now understand that these are like, these are practices for people that want to live a yogic lifestyle. They're not just for everybody, right? You, there's a no, specific no. intention for what we, we do these things for. Like most of the time you say, well, if you're thirsty, you should go and have a drink. Absolutely. Unless you're practicing meditation, with the austerity of tapasya, and then when your body says, I'm thirsty, you have to train the body to say, you have to wait, yeah. right? The strength of not just running from one desire or want to the next. Um, tapas helps us burn up all of the desires um, that stand in our way of goals. And the goal of tapasya, like you said, is to be able to sit 
in meditation and when you're constantly longing for things like we are in our society like oh i need this or oh i need that jumping from one thing to the next want food. oh i, I want have food. to move or oh i'm hurting I have an itch here or whatever it is exactly it really inhibits you from sitting in meditation for long periods of time so we need to be able to practice these austerities now there's different austerities for different parts um in the Bhagavad Gita, it is mentioned that there are three types of austerities. Austerity of the physical body, austerity of communication and speech, which we call mana, and austerity of the mind. Tapasya includes control over one's thoughts in order to avoid unnecessary talking. So when we practice uh, mana, we, we had a retreat a couple of months ago where we practice mana in the morning where you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you go to the toilet, you get dressed, you come into the yoga room, we do all of our morning practices, and then you finish your morning practices, and you come to breakfast, and that is when you acknowledge everybody and say, good morning, how did you sleep, did you have any interesting dreams, yada, yada, yada. And it was mentioned by a couple of people in this retreat how uncomfortable it was for them to get up in the morning be walking around these other people, you know, like, you know, sharing the bathroom or whatever, and not being able to speak to them, they considered to be rude. And so it was a really interesting practice to be able to look at how conditioned we are to constantly be acknowledging each other. And we do this with Facebook likes, right? Constantly acknowledging each other is a way that we feel not disconnected. But in the ashram in India, uh, there's so many people there that to talk to everybody and to acknowledge everybody is exhausting. Totally. And I think so in, in regular life too. To always be talking, to always be interacting is a huge expenditure of energy. And we don't, we don't need to. No, no. And it's, it's, we have to realize that it's okay to not always be making eye contact or always be interacting. And in my experience here at Niwa's, we practiced this, the silent morning, if you will, during our teacher training, and it was quite nice. It's quite delicious. It was was quite nice. (laughs) Early in the morning, nice and quiet. Everyone's kind of tired and groggy. Just sit and enjoy the the silence. Let your first interaction, let your first outpouring of energy in the day be to the divine, not to be to everybody's personality, right? Because that really sets the tone for the day. So tapasya is about um, putting in these practices so that your mind can get stronger, so your emotions can get stronger, so that your body can get stronger. In a book that I love called The Four Chapters of Freedom by Swami Satyananda Saraswati, which Mittenjaya is holding right now. It's a good reference. Within the three types of tabasya, there are five practices of tabasya, which are exposure to the sun to harden the skin, exposure to fire to make one's body slim and brown, doing pranayam to heat the body, accumulating the fire of concentration, one-pointedness, and the fire of fasting. These are the five fires which remove the toxins and make the body fit for meditation. Now, we're talking about making the body slim and brown, not from a vanity perspective. (laughs) Not hopping in a tanning bed. (laughs) No, we're talking about making the body slim, which means it's not holding any extra toxins or fluid Um, which is emotional baggage. This releasing is done through deep trust and strength, not from 
wasting away emotional baggage through anxiety and depriving yourself of nutrients. It's done in a very strong, centered kind of way. Totally. And I feel like you could tie this back to the first niyama of cleanliness and purity and what you put into your body as well. The food you put in should be clean and free of toxins and your body will reflect it and therefore you have one of the five points of tapasya. Exactly. Now, my favorite and least favorite tapasya is the teaching um, that it's not only about making the body fit for meditation, but it's about doing things that we don't want to do out of laziness or tamas, and tamas is inertia. So we have to clean the bakery today. And oh, I goodness. totally recognize my tamas or my inertia, my laziness around, oh God, I don't want to clean the bakery today. And for me to then go, no, this is what needs to be done. Karma yoga, just do what needs to be done with full effort and watch the mind. This is going to be a tapasya for me. So it's about watching, knowing that something needs to be done, watching that you have an aversion to do it through laziness or through inertia, which is dullness of the mind, and then moving through that to get it done anyway. That's also a practice of tapasya. Yeah, and that will definitely strengthen you. You witness your mind saying, no, like, uh, I uh. don't want to do that. <laughs> but you go about it and do it joyfully anyways. Exactly. It feels great. It does. By the way. It really does. So that is the tapasya of the niyamas. Anyway, let's move on with the niyamas uh, to svadhyaya. Self-observation, self-learning, self-teaching. Yeah, I think this is probably one of the most beneficial practices in uh, the yamas and niyamas in our time in the West right now. And that is uh, creating a frequency and awareness of discernment in Agniya Chakra, which is at the, the tip of the spinal column uh, where the pineal gland is, to witness. You really can't practice or start implementing all these other yamas and niyamas unless you're willing to witness yourself to to study the self there's different kinds of knowledge swa right swa means self so swadhyaya is the is the study of self one must be the observer the highest type of knowledge comes through experience but you can't learn from your experiences unless you're able to witness the experiences and the highest Teaching of that is when you can witness the experience and learn in the moment. And that takes a lot of purity and discrimination and concentration. To actually be learning in the moment because of the level of witnessing you have. Then the next type of knowledge is to be able to learn from books. It's, a, it's not as high a frequency, right? Knowledge is not as high as wisdom. Wisdom comes from experiencing it. Knowledge comes from learning it. And then the lowest type of knowledge is learning from books, but not actually understanding what you're reading. Mm -hmm. And the self-study is a, how do I say it? It's a remarkable characteristic to have, to want to delve into yourself and to want to change. And when you do those things, you take on a whole new mindset of how you go about your day to day, how you interact with other people, what triggers me, what doesn't trigger me, what can I learn from these things. And there's a practice that helps you strengthen that very muscle. Do you know what it's called? Enlighten me. 
<laughs> it's called anta mona. Anta meaning inner, and mona, as we've already said, is silence. So inner silence. And anta mona is the process of being able to witness a memory and be able to witness your experience within that memory and learn from that experience and then put that experience to the side. Mm. It's actually one of a, a very good practice for people that are experiencing PTS, post-traumatic stress. Yeah. It's a it's a more advanced practice for that. There's there's foundational work that needs to be done before somebody experiencing that uh, should be practicing that, and you should be practicing it with uh, a, a teacher that has experience in working with trauma through these practices. But you're able to observe and, and modify your reactions by doing this practice. Um, so you can see, you can witness how you negatively would or have responded to a circumstance and then that kumbak, that, that moment between the breath, if you can witness that moment, it's enough to shift your patterning of taking some space rather than reacting negatively, mm-hmm. right? And, and to do that, you need to be able to witness, um, witness, 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 witness. And it improves the way you perceive through things from the past. And slowly, slowly, you're able to perceive things differently in the present. So it's a muscle. All of these things, all of these teachings, all of these practices, all of these techniques, they're muscles. Your mind is a muscle. Your emotions are muscles. Your physicality have muscles. You know, just like you want to build up your biceps, you have to start small and you have, then you can get bigger and bigger and heavier and heavier. Why are you laughing? <laughs> it's just so typical in the West for people to have big biceps. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a female, I'm a male. There you go. I've seen it lots. So when, so Antamona, the practice of Swadhyaya, uh, these are really important muscles that need to start to be worked because they give you the strength to start working all the other muscles of the yamas and niyamas. So what's the fifth niyama? The fifth niyama is Ishwara Pranidhana. Ishvara Pranidhana, or a complete self-surrender to God or the divine considered to be the hardest of the niyamas one gets to a stage in the spiritual journey when the guru or the the teacher steps back and when one cannot perceive help without help and one becomes desperate then a leap literally like a leap of evolution and faith right a leap of faith something takes a leap of faith is when the hands you've held of your teacher or your or your guru or your the, the spiritual master that you follow steps back and says okay now what are you going to do and you have to start working all these teachings for yourself and then do your best and put your efforts at the foot of the divine this takes a, what we call a leap of faith but the leap is not just haphazard of falling off a cliff it is really a leap in evolution of when you can start working the muscle of discernment, witness, purity, truthfulness, non-possessiveness, non-aggression, non-violence, and then do your best with that and then offer it to the foot of the divine. Hmm. And, and this is what we call a good day. <laughs> right yeah and when you do all of the, when you're working all those teachings and all those aspects while you're doing whatever cleaning the bakery moving rocks sweeping feeding goats you know sitting at a computer for eight hours whatever you're doing is the karma yoga the action of yoga and then at the end of the day you put it at the foot of the divine and you say i did my best 
not just defaulting to, well, I hope my best is good enough. But like, no, I've actually worked these pieces today and I can now witness that I've worked these pieces today and I offer it at the foot of Durga, at the foot of the divine, of the foot of Rama, of the foot of Jesus, of the foot of whatever, doesn't matter, the tree down the street. You know? In my view of it, it's it's in the intention of, okay, I didn't just do all that stuff for myself. I did that stuff in service. I am not the doer. Exactly. Non-doership. Purnamada, purnamidam. We keep coming back to this. Mm. You know, this is complete. That is complete. We, If you are not the doer, then you offer everything that comes through you to the divine, which comes from the divine, to the divine, with the divine, from the divine, for the divine, it softens into santosha, contentment of it is how it's supposed to be. Full effort, no expectation. Complete surrender. It's really cool to take the yamas and niyamas and other points that have been discussed in these podcasts and the other teachings of yoga and the other principles and see how they're all sort of connected with each other. And, oh, if I practice this point or seek to understand this point, oh, it totally relates to that point. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So as we mentioned, I think in our second podcast of modern uh, yoga, Ancient Roots, when somebody in, in ancient times, when somebody wanted to learn yoga, and I say that in quotation marks, the, the master, the guru, the, the head teacher would say, okay, go away, look at the yamas and niyamas, implement those practices in your life, change your lifestyle so that you can embody these practices and then come back and then we start the process of asan, pranayam, pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, samadhi. So can you choose one yama, one niyama, one one of each and focus on those two things for one month and then the next month choose one different yama and one different niyama and see how much of those you can implement and start putting yourself through the teachings. Start to inquire because as you start to inquire and make some effort on your own steam, the divine will match you and will meet you with a with a teacher or with further teachings that will in turn again lift you up even higher. A little effort on one's part is always supported by the divine. So which yama and niyamas are you going to work on for the next month? I, even before we've done this, I've really been focusing on ahimsa, nonviolence. Mm-hmm. Which and is really hard when you have a dog eating chickens. Totally. Just and it's putting that always, out there. It's not always physical actions, but just watching the mind and what what are the uh, intentions behind my actions and words and if there's any underlying nastiness behind them. Do you have a lot of underlying nastiness in your mind? Not a lot, but when it comes to certain people and certain things, definitely. And that relates back to the whole victim consciousness we talked about in this podcast. Huh. So when you're in a pattern of victim consciousness, you notice that your negativity goes up in all aspects of your Totally, and it sucks. But that's why we're <laughs> that's why we practice yoga to overcome those things. And really, all of that is self study. The third niyama that we talked about today. Fourth swadhyaya. Fourth, yeah. Pardon me. Fourth swadhyaya. Swadhyaya. Yeah. Beautiful. And it's just simple things like that you can practice swadhyaya and just oh, like that. My intention behind those words wasn't exactly kind. You can witness that, and next time change it. Little by little. Step by step. 
Hey, did you know that uh, somebody sent us a, an email with a question and oh, okay. I called them up to talk to them and mm -hmm. ask them if they would say their question for the podcast. Should we listen to it? Please. All right. Uh, hello. How are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Sunny day in Houston. Yay, rainy day in BC. <laughs> um, so I got your question, um, uh -huh. and I was wanting to know if you could uh, repeat it to us here. Sure. So my question is, you know, I live in a world that is completely dominated uh, by these trendy pseudo-spiritual interpretations of yoga that are much more bent on uh, self-improvement physically uh, and don't really get into any of the deeper concepts that we've been talking about on the podcast. So I would like to know, um, as somebody who wants to pursue this, what should a student who is looking to really examine life through a yogic perspective um, be looking for in a teacher uh, in this kind of landscape? What should we be looking out for? I think that that is a really good question, and um, I'm going to do my very best to answer it for you. Thank you. So in response to this question, there's a couple of things that I'd like to offer. One of them is that in the West, as we consider yoga to be asana and pranayama, when looking for a studio to practice in, look at it from that perspective, that you're looking at for how it facilitates asana and pranayama, knowing that it's probably not going to offer a whole lot of depth into the deeper aspects of the yamas, niyamas, the teachings, the psychology, the chakras, and so forth. But look at the studio for its merits on that place. And how do, how do you feel when you walk into that studio? Does that studio emanate kindness? Is it emanating peace? Or is it emanating ego and short shorts and one-handed handstands? Just get a vibe for whether or not the space opens your heart, right? Your heart always dictates where it needs to be, where it can evolve, where it can practice. And then in terms of the actual classes, my own opinion is, is that you want to practice an asana class that allows you the space in the class to be able to work other deeper mental and energetic aspects within yourself so you tools that you can apply to any asana class so try and choose an asana class that's not completely physically workout based so not necessarily like a, an advanced power class where it's just all about the postures and it's all about push 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 harder harder deeper deeper while there is an aspect of asana that it is good to be challenged to go physically deeper than our mind thinks it can allow yourself to bring yourself into that with an actual teacher rather than an asana facilitator. So choose an asana class that is a little bit more on the gentler side so that you have the space to actually connect into how you're feeling in the postures and use the asana to be a practice of swadhyaya or self-study. Also, if you can find a class that offers a little bit of pranayama, at the end of the practice, this is also a really good sign of a well-rounded yoga class. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a class that's well-rounded. So you always want to have a class that has a couple of balances, a couple of twists, uh, a back bend, an inversion. That's obviously optional if you have your period. We don't practice inversions when we do. 
that has a good shavasana, that has a good warm-up, that isn't about bells and whistles, doesn't necessarily have fancy music. See if the teacher is having to demonstrate every second posture, right? Allow yourself to be drawn to a class where it's very simple, right? Because in the simplicities, you'll, you will be able to take yourself deeper with the other skills and lessons and understanding of the philosophy that you learn from your teacher. Now, your yoga teacher can be anywhere in the world. And it's really important to make time to go and retreat with a teacher, to go into retreat for yourself, to learn things on a deeper level, to have that direct experience that we were talking about, to be able to come into the wisdom of that. And then, you know, when the student is ready, the, the lineage, the master, the guru, the enlightened one will be there. And so you'll be able to take it to another stage. But for somebody who's really genuinely interested in taking their understanding to a deeper level, find a teacher, uh, ask the divine to lead you to a teacher, contact them. If you live far away, work on Skype. Work on Skype to develop a specific practice for you that takes 20 minutes to half an hour in the morning with very specific practices, specific duration, specific intention. And then balance that out with a local asana class that acts as a tapasya. Um, but balance that out with your deeper practice that is being tailor-made for you by a teacher. Do you think that answers her question? Yeah, very well. If I could add just a couple points Please do. finding an asana class. My education is in physical education and personal training. And definitely in the West, we see a trend of mixing yoga with fitness, which is totally groovy in one aspect but in the real sense of doing asana you miss the space as shivani said during the class to observe your mind to observe what's going on inside and to really experience asana so i totally agree when she says choose a class that's a little less extreme on the physical side and it will give you more room to feel beautifully put thank you okay beautiful podcast I think I think we've done okay. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited. The next podcast is going to be on Asan, as we mentioned. Uh, T-shirts are ready. If you would like to purchase a one plus one equals one Purnamada Ishtadev Niwas T-shirt, they are $30 Canadian plus shipping. Please send us an email to info at livingyogasociety.org. If you have a question that you would like to put to us, you can also send us an email to info at livingyogasociety.org. You can also follow Ishtadev Niwas Yoga Center on Facebook or Living Yoga society on Facebook. And remember, life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. Peace out. Have a good day. Namon Narayan. Adios. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe, share it with your friends on Facebook, and feel free to donate a dollar at livingyogasociety.org slash donate.